Hey guys! Hey miserable bitches! We are back with another episode, but not just any episode, a spooky episode! My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And make sure you leave your manners at the door. It's episode four zero. Ooh, you're so excited. Well, I didn't know it was 40 until you said it. Oh. And yeah. I don't like the number threes. I like the number three. Yeah, I know. It's some people's like lucky number, but I don't like it, so I'm glad to get out of the threes. <clears throat> oh, well, I like the number four because you can write it two different ways. And it reminds you of whore. Which you is call you. me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, really not. No, you're not. You're not. I am. I'm You're not. not. Um, you got cobwebs in there, baby. No, no I'm kidding. I <laughs> I'm kidding. That is a fucking haunted episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, no, we're excited because we're gonna be doing a spooky episode. Yes. And we haven't done one in a while, and we actually got some messages here recently. There was like, "Can y'all do a spooky episode?" And I'm like, "It's about that time." And I actually did a little research. She did. So, before we get started, though, I did post this weekend on our um, Instagram, but we are going to be sending these cool little enamel pens to our Patreons. Um, They're, like, spooky. There's, like, some skulls, some witches, some... What else did I... There's just a lot of... There's one that says fuck off, which I used to have, but someone stole it off my bag, so I might steal that one again. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So, we're going to be sending... Uh, those two Patreons in the mail this week. If you are not a Patreon and you want to become a Patreon so you can not only get cool things like that in the mail, but you can also get some exclusive episodes. So right after this episode, we're going to be recording a Patreon episode and I'm really excited about it. It's about like creepy and funny. Well, some are funny, but majority are creepy 911 calls that dispatchers have come across Mm -hmm. and they are fucking terrifying. Um, I threw in some funny ones just because, you know, you have those people in life that call 911 for like... It's also terrifying that they're that dumb. Yeah. So we're going to be uploading that one. And then last week we uploaded one called Jeffrey the Killer. Is that what it's called? That was so And dumb. it's like a cryptid, like <laughs> Slenderman type of deal, but it was actually pretty funny. But there's a lot on there. So if you want to be a Patreon, click the link in our Instagram bio or it'll be in the show notes below. Yes, ma'am. So, I'm a boy. So, <laughs> so we, our spooky episode today is about, well, some of you might know them as BEKs, but they're called Black-Eyed Kids. Or Black-Eyed Children. Or Black-Eyed Children. And What's um, the book called that we read? This one is called uh, Black-Eyed Real Kids. Black-Eyed Kids by Zachary Knowles. So... I'm going to start us off with just a story, and then we're going to go into the history. Emily's going to tell us about, like, the history, where they come from, what they look like, and then we'll tell y'all about some encounters that people have had with them. And it's quite scary, because we don't know exactly what they are, who they are, what they want. Well, we kind of know what they want based on these stories, but... Yeah, but why they want it. And they, they have some strange requests. It's really strange. So, this is a spooky one, so... Grab your tits, grab your candles, and let's get it popping. All right. So this one's called. So this is the first. First. The. F- <laughs> Hold on. Let me cleanse my palate. This is the first recorded black eyed kid encounter. Okay. Now, I want to preface this is the first recorded one. They've been happening reported. for years and years and years. Yeah. But this is the first one that came out that started this whole like phenomenon. Okay. And it happened in Texas. Right. In Abilene. So. The first publicly shared BEK encounter occurred in 1996, though it would have probably died away quickly had it not happened to a well-respected journalist from Abilene, Texas. So here's the story that brought black-eyed kids to the to world's attention. Every time I say black-eyed kids, I want to say black-eyed peas. I know. All right. So local journalist Brian Bethel was in a partially lit parking lot between 19... 19- 
between 9.30 and 10 p.m., he was parked in front of an office door next to a movie theater. He sat in his car while he finished filling out a check for his monthly internet service bill, using the light from the neighboring theater marquee to see. Um, so he was intending to drop off the payment in the overnight drop-off slot at the provider's office door as soon as he was finished. So as he was engrossed, as he wait, as he was engrossed and filled out the information on his check, there was a knock on the driver's side window. Looking up, he saw two boys standing next to his car. One boy was approximately nine years old, and the other was approximately twelve. Okay. The eldest had an olive complexion with dark brown curly hair, while the youngest had ginger-colored hair with pale freckled complexion. So, like complete opposites, right? Like me. They wore hooded pullovers that partially obscured their eyes. So, like, kind of like little punks. Yeah. That's what I'm getting in my head. Right. That picture I sent you. Right. So, Brian didn't roll the window down, but he could hear the older boy clearly saying, quote, We came here to watch the premiere of Mortal Kombat, but we left our money at home. Will you give us a ride? He claimed at the time he knew his fear did not make sense, but it was so strong he couldn't ignore it or pass it off. He hesitated, looking through his window at the boys' faces partially obscured with their hoodies, but they seemed harmless. Not to mention, the request seemed innocent enough, but it was rather strange in the 1990s for two boys to attempt to get a ride with a total stranger, but this didn't explain the fear that he felt inside. So Brian glanced up at the theater marquee and realized that Mortal Kombat had already been showing for an hour. So light that bulbs is... are going off like, wait a second, this show has been going on and now they're worried about their money. You know, the show's, I yeah. mean, the movie's bound to be over soon. So he knew something was off immediately. I would have been like, yeah, baby, how much is the ticket? Oh, I'd have been like, I mean, like just the fact that they came up to his car and knocked on the window. Right. So the older boy said, it won't take long. Looking down with his eyes obscured by his hoodie. We're just two boys. We won't hurt you. We don't have a gun. The boy's tone was jarring. He sounded like a young boy, but his manner of speaking was odd and had an unnatural rhythm. Thoughts were racing through Brian's mind. Why would those words even come out of the boy's mouth? How did he know Brian was afraid of them? And who in their right mind would be afraid of two little boys like this? An almost uncontrollable controllable urge came over Brian to open the passenger door for the boys to get in, but the terror he felt in his gut stopped him. Suddenly, the boys looked up and made eye contact with Brian, who will never be the same again. So, for the first time, Brian got a clear look at their eyes, completely black, without pupils, irises, or sclerae? You don't know what that is? Is that the white part? Have you ever heard of the sampuka thing? No. The Japanese thing where if you Oh my god, you oh, have yeah, it. Oh yeah, I do. I do. I know what that is. Where the the whites You have it. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Where the whites of your eyes at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, I can see your white at the bottom. Well, you're drunk and huh. Only Okay, so the, <laughs> their eyes were only the darkness. So the terror Brian felt flooded his entire being as he muttered some excuse, slammed the car into reverse and tore out of the parking lot like a bat out of hell. He remained unnerved for hours. When he drove by the theater the next day, he remembered Mortal Kombat had already been on for an hour when the boys had approached him. They were lying to him about being there to watch a movie. What had their reaction... What was their reaction... Wait, what had been their reason for approaching him? What would have happened if he allowed them in his car? What did they really want? He later posted this story on a private chat room online. From there, he discovered just how many people had encountered these mysterious black-eyed children. So when he posted this, more and more and more people were coming forth to share their stories. And so a lot of the stories that people were posting, I have to share. But before we get into those, um, Emily has some like background on who they might be, what people think they are, and kind of their appearances. Yes. Um, and then a little bit, I read that like when he went home that night, he did write down his story because he was a journalist and he shared it with like friends. Yeah. So keep in mind, we're in 96, so the internet is like this new thing. Yeah, and I think it was like called Google, not Google Chat, but the blog that he put in almost, it was like a Google, basically like a um, Reddit, but for Google. So that's yeah. what he put it in. Yeah. Like a... um. Not a blog. But something like that, yeah. Because he was a journalist. Right. For, the, for somewhere in Abilene. Okay. Um, so, 
I do want to say that when I did research that story apart from the book, mm-hmm. that um, it discussed the older boy being more like smooth talking. Like right. he was the one that basically took over the whole like situation, which okay. I thought was kind of interesting that they like (laughs) described him that way but anyway so the history of black-eyed kids are classified as part cryptid part demon part alien part urban legend or even part vampire yeah and i also people also think that they're like ghosts as well Uh uh-huh yes because of the color of their skin so they're like a like what like a casserole of a lot of different things or like a, a spaghetti bowl right they're just like yes. you go in here you go in here yeah yeah well and so i kind of go into like why people think they're part different things right yeah. so and i'm sure we do in our stories too but mm-hmm. okay so they started as this internet monster so kind of like slender man right mm-hmm. but unlike slender man there are thousands of reports of black-eyed children and of those thousands like hundreds that could like actually be deemed real or truthful like backed up that like someone else was there. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I literally saw this. Right. Um, so the eyes are black from eyelid to eyelid. And a lot of the times they're described as like liquid black. And the children are t- typically between the ages of six to 16. And David Weatherly, who's like this wannabe demonologist wrote a book about the BEKs. Wannabe. So is he just not? He, I think he just, like, wants to be a demonologist, oh. but he's really just okay. not. <laughs> he, like, a lot of his writings on black-eyed kids, he's basically saying, like, they came to visit people and um, basically to, like, scare them into, like, going to church and believing in God kind of thing. Oh. Like, it's very weird. Okay. Well, I don't know. But, okay. yeah, so David Weatherly, like I said, he wrote this book on them, and he brings up an interesting point regarding their age. And I was telling Cody this earlier that this large group of them are going through puberty. You know, you think between the ages, obviously six-year-olds aren't, but between the ages of six and 16, you know, what do you start puberty? Like 11, 10 mm-hmm. to 16, right? So he said, but none of them are exhibiting signs of it. Like no pimples, their the tone of their vo- not the tone of like their, their voice, their the voice range isn't of their cracking. voice. Yeah. yeah, a lot of um, cases that I or encounters that I read said that their voices sounded like very very deep, right? Like an adult. And like at my age during puberty, I sounded like a trombone, like yeah, right. And so, and you have a six year old would sound like a small child. You probably wouldn't even be able to decipher if it's a male or a female. And I also read. Uh, you probably have this in there too, but like their voices are almost like robotic, like, like they're monotone. programmed to say yes. And if you steer them off the track of what they were programmed to say, they can't answer your questions. Mm-mm. No, and they so add, some, in fact do not answer questions. Right, and like they'll just keep asking the same question. And if you say like you know, what is your mom's cell phone number? Because a lot of them try to get into your house, uh-huh. they don't know how to answer that, and so they'll just ask you the same question over again, which you'll see in a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. That's when people are like, wait, what is going on here? They just start repeating themselves. And then they, right. but it is weird because they will, it's almost like they're getting frustrated. I think personally, I think I'm getting more of the alien vibe. Like okay. it's like a different being that has come here because they don't have like our social, they don't have our social skills. They want to come in to like maybe see like how humans here do certain things. But, um, in some of the documentaries that I read, the description that people that study like alien life said that they that kind of mirrors the same thing that they've heard. So I don't know. So I was listening to the last podcast on the left about it, and um, Henry was talking about how there's also white-eyed kids, which I know that sounds Damn. so stupid, but that some people think that they are like the black-eyed kids' leaders. Mm-hmm that they're not like the higher being but they basically like that there's something ahead of them right. too but that they tell them what there's to do. also red-eyed kids and i experience that when i'm really drunk <laughs> my eyes go bloodshot oh my god okay so um anyway i thought that was really weird about how he's talking about puberty and that they don't have pimples and things like that because i'm like i wouldn't even think of that but I guess if this is like something that you're studying like Mm -hmm. you would think of that so I don't know I just thought that was 
I, I didn't think it think it was anything very significant. But right. anyway, so they are noted to be very pale or olive-toned skin. And then some people note that their skin almost looks unnatural or even like painted white. Right. Like they look so fake. Um, black-eyed kids are commonly compared to the men in black phenomena, which is a real urban legend, which I did not know, mm-hmm. but it is. Um, it's like an alien cryptid internet monster as well. And it's not like, cause I always just think of the Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones mm-hmm. movie, but it's apparently based off of something. But anyway, like the 1996 story that Cody was discussing, there are always these strange instances in these encounters. And, um, the most notable one that I always think of was when a witness said that one of the black eyed kids that came to his door was eating this apple and he asked for ketchup to put on his apple. But in the sense of like, can I have ketchup for my apple? Like, like it's a normal, like, that's what you do. Right. Well, he was trying to blend in, obviously. Yes. And like, like, we don't do that. We don't do that. (laughs) Um, so I know that sounds stupid, but it's also like very, very strange. So it's, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but it's almost as though these, like, I put a big word here. I put these strange idiosyncrasies happen, but their reaction to it is almost like they're offended because when people are like, what, what? They just keep saying it. I need ketchup for this right. or whatever. And then they, they get louder and louder. And anyway, so if there are questions about these requests, like you were talking about, they don't answer it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he, in that case, he just kept asking for, I want this, I want right. this. And, um, some I've been people, like, damn, shut up. No, I know. It's weird. So some people are saying, like, by them repeating that, it's almost like they're, um, they have some kind of low-level mind control, which compares them to vampires. Mm -hmm. Because vampires, I always thought it was just like a garlic thing with them, but they also have to ask permission to come inside. And you'll see this in the stories that black-eyed kids are always wanting to come inside either whether it's the car like in well, the first kind of story like, it's like uh that's why a lot of people think they're demons too because anytime you come in contact with the demon or a spirit like on a ouija board you have to invite them in and then they can have full control so right. like the once you invite them in and i have a story of a lady that invited them in I think I put it in here. If not, I can find it. But um, she's probably one of the only ones that let them in, and it's not good. No. And so another reason that people think that they're demons is because they're always children. They're always kids. Right. And so that's like a form of innocence, right? A sign of innocence. And so demons will um, not describe themselves. They'll, what's the word I'm thinking of? Let themselves be known. No, but, like, they'll hide and, like, they'll use, like, an induit, you know, like, oh, Annabelle, yeah. like, uh-huh. right. as a, or Port- a conduit, sorry. Like a portal? No, like a, um... a conduit. So they'll use something, like, innocent, like a doll. Mm. But in this case, it's, like, a, a young child. Right. So they'll use that and eat just like the devil made me do it, the new conjuring movie. Right. Exactly like that. Okay. And so that's another reason people think, okay, they could be demons. Um going on to like what they're wearing oh this is another thing that you specifically asked me to look up it is believed that black eyed um, kids use low frequency infrasound that causes reactions in the nervous system so what does that look like that explains this like sick weak feeling people get during after during and after these encounters with black eyed kids these feelings are described as anxiety headaches shaking stomach aches but they apparently smell really bad too oh i didn't know that so they smell like rotten eggs or rotten meat or decaying garbage which cause people to feel nauseous so that can explain like why their stomach would hurt um and a lot of them have outdated haircuts they have outdated clothing or very simple clothing so it's just not it just from the get-go, looks like something's out of place and not normal. Yeah, like, there was another strange instance where, like, they were, instead of going to the door and asking for, like, ketchup on their apple, they were, like, trying to sell magazines, but the magazines or newspapers were, like, decades old. Right, they're just trying to blend in, and they're not doing a good job. (laughs) But we'll let you make your decision, like, your whatever you think they are. I think they're aliens. 
What do you think? Well, I don't know. I have a couple more things to say about them. So oh. um, kind of on the same level as the repeating phrases, black-eyed kids are also associated with monotonous knocking. So right. once the door is opened, you are met with a kid dressed in jeans or hoodie, usually baggy, dark clothing, masking their gender. Their heads are kept down, avoiding eye contact. Right. You also will never see their hands or feet, which some note to them being demons, because as demons... As you know, demons will have distorted hands or feet, like hooved feet and such, like, you know, things like that. Um, and like I was saying, also appearing as an innocent child is very demon-like. Right. They move very quickly, almost in a flash. Their demeanor is calm, emotionless, nearly hypnotic. They first request to be let inside a home or into a vehicle after asking for something simple. So, but... After that, they soon began to demand to gain entrance into the home. Right. Like, I need to be let inside, but you have to let me inside. Right. And they start explaining themselves. Um, I'm almost done here. Um, okay. Sorry. I always lose my place in Cody gets so annoyed with me. Well, no, now, it's because your font is 3.3. No. Like, my eyes are turning black from trying to look at it. Now, I also read that once the witness has discovered the black eyes of the kids, that this is when the black-eyed kid becomes more angry or much more, like, insistent. Well, yeah, because their cover's kind of blown. Right. Or they might be up to something. Well, like, before that, they don't really have much emotion. But then once you see their eyes, I guess they're like, oh, fuck, you know? Right. So, um, they can only gain entrance if they are granted entrance, like I said, much like vampires. Um, I... I never really knew that vampires used mind control, but I've learned that today. So, um, this is kind of stupid because of what you just said about the lady letting them in. Cause I was like, Oh, well I'm going to end on this little sentence. Go ahead. So what happens when you do comply and let the black eyed kids inside your home? We don't know because there's never been reports of that. There is though. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily clearly just threw in some bluff. Anyways, all right, cool. So I'm going to, enough with that. So now you have a little image of what the black-eyed kids look like. Um, so I am going to tell us about some stories and some encounters that people have reported um, coming across them. So this one's called Our Parents Are Coming. So Paul and Brenda lived in a stereotypical small town off a rural dirt road in the deep country up north. Their home was isolated and without streetlights, the darkness was ov almost overwhelming. They never felt afraid out there. However, one particular winter night, they did. It had been snowing for several hours, and Brenda wasn't exactly surprised when someone banged on her front door at 2 a.m. As she peeked out of the bedroom window, she assumed someone's car had broken down and their home had been the first sign of life. This happened often enough for it to not surprise them when someone knocked on their front door at an unusual hour. As she peered up from behind the curtains, Brenda noticed the motion detector lights were on and she could clearly see a pair of footprints coming from the dirt road. The snow on the ground showed no indication of car tracks, though, and she couldn't see a car stopped on the road. She could, however, make out two small figures standing at the front door. Everything was quiet and silent as the snow slowly fell outside. Then the banging continued as Brenda woke up to her husband, Paul. Paul dressed and answered the front door, and Brenda was standing behind him, very scared. On Paul and Brenda's front porch stood two young children, a boy and a girl, both about eight years old. Brenda noticed they were not dressed for winter weather, and normally her first instinct would have been to rush to the little ones inside and warm them up, but she felt a strong hesitation of fear. Something was just not right about these children. Their haircuts were strange and way out of fashion. The boy was some sort of like outdated bowl cut and the girl with some long hair and short blunt bangs. Poor babies. <laughs> Their clothes too seemed unfashionable for the time and they would not make eye contact with Paul or Brenda. Nonetheless, that wasn't enough for the couple to deny a pair of children into their home on such an icy and cold night. Paul invited them into the house while Brenda rushed into the kitchen to make some hot cocoa for them. As they heated the water, she could hear Paul asking the children about their parents. Our parents will be here soon, said the girl in almost a sing-song voice. It was oh. unnatural and very jarring, but uh, Brenda couldn't quite pin down why. 
What happened? Did their car break down? Paul continued. Our parents will be here soon, she repeated as her brother sat down on the sofa, Paul sitting across from them in his favorite chair. Where was their accident? Our parents will be here soon, she said again. I do not like this. (laughs) I just got chill bumps. So Brenda was terribly unnerved by their parents' behavior, strange answers, and something else, but she couldn't quite identify it. They weren't the only ones, though. She busily prepared the hot cocoa. She realized three of the family cats were nowhere to be seen, which was quite odd. They usually had uh, to chase their rather friendly cats away from guests. Only one cat was present. The black one. Right? So I think his name's Percival. So it stood in the doorway leading to their living room where the children sat. His dark fur was raised along his spine as his tail pointed downward and poofed out twice its normal size. Mm. He hissed at the children and began to stiffly walk sideways further back into the kitchen until they were out of his sight. Brenda walked around him carrying two mugs of hot cocoa in the living room, but she was shaking. Puzzled by the cat's odd behavior, she kept going. She was taken aback when she noticed Paul was sitting, leaning forward with his head in his hands. His face was contorted in terrible pain. She quickly set the mugs down on the coffee table in front of the children and knelt down by Paul. I'm dizzy, that's all, he said to Brenda. As she turned to the children, they finally made eye contact. (gasps) Their eyes were abnormal, just as the other sightings of BEKs. The girl stood up, pulling her brother up with her. We need to use the restroom, she stated in the same sing-song voice. What a sing-song. We need to use the restroom. No, it ain't. I think it's, (laughs) we need to use the restroom. It's sing-song. Bitch, I'm about to ping-pong you, bitch. So Brenda kneeling, (laughs) so Brenda kneeled next to Paul, pointed through the kitchen to the bathroom in the hallway. Ew, you spit on my laptop. As she walked away, she looked into Paul's face. She could tell that he, too, had seen their eyes. As she began to say something to him, his nose began to bleed profusely, though he had never had a single nosebleed in his life. Brenda rushed into the kitchen to grab some tissues when the power in the house went out. Thrust into extreme darkness, the kind of darkness that only people who live in the country are familiar with, Brenda felt around the kitchen counter for tissue box, but sensed movement and realized the children were standing in the doorway of the kitchen. For an instant, headlights from a car pulling into their driveway silhouetted them. She saw their shapes standing side by side, holding hands and facing her. Unspeakable terror gripped her and she felt immediate danger and froze. Our parents are here, stated the girl, and she and her brother walked past Brenda into the living room and out the front door, leaving it gaping open. Cold breeze blew in as Brenda found her way to Paul, and together they rushed into the front window. They saw the children, illuminated by car lights from a sedan idling in their snow-covered driveway. Standing at the front of the car were two tall men dressed in dark suits. As the children approached the men, they opened the back doors to the car. Brenda and Paul watched as as the children and then the two men got into the dark sedan and drove away into the dark, snowy night. Men in black. Right? Or Slenderman, too. It would be 30 minutes before the power came back on at the house, just as mysteriously as it shut off. They had never found a reason for the outage, and the neighbors did not have the same outage. Over the next few months, three of the cats went missing. Percival, the cat who had hissed at the children, was found dead in a puddle of bloody vomit on the kitchen floor. The vet's only explanation was that he had died because of the hemorrhage, though he had never showed any signs of illness before the children's visit. Paul developed regular, intense nosebleeds. The only cause his doctor could find was dry sinuses. Brenda, too, developed nosebleeds and both suffered dizzy spells for months. Paul was also diagnosed with very aggressive melanoma skin cancer, despite having never even spent much time in the sun or in a tanning booth. Fortunately, the symptoms eventually went away and Paul was able to recover from the skin cancer. To this day, Brenda is certain everything had happened. The cats, the nosebleeds, the dizziness, the skin cancer was all due to the mistake of letting a pair of black-eyed children into their home. Did they have kids of their own? I don't know. I think they sound like an older couple. I know, they do. 
yeah, insane. So don't, I would have never, I didn't think that was the first one. So, you know, I said, like, I think I have one in there. I didn't realize it was going to be the first story. But there's another one, too, of a lady who let them in. Okay, so I'm going to read this next one, and then you can read the one after. Okay, so this one's called The Black-Eyed Kids in the Marine. So, so Jodie Fontaine, sounds like a drag queen, love it. (laughs) Jodie Fontaine, welcome to the stage, Jodie Fontaine. So, Jodie Fontaine was a Marine stationed at Camp Lagoon in North Carolina when he had a disturbing encounter with black-eyed kids. When an encounter is enough to scare a Marine, you have to wonder what exactly is behind it, right? Oh, I know. So... Jody lived on the third floor of the infantry barracks, which were set up like a typical motel with open walkways along the outside of the building and rooms on the inside. So trying to get some rest after a long, hard day, Jody was watching a movie and dozing off. It was the weekend, but he was home because he was too broke to go out. Know some people like that. Half asleep, there was enough. No, I'm just saying, like. I know some people like that. I'm like, baby, I'm going out whether I got a penny or $5. We're going to make it work. (laughs) So half asleep, there was a knock on the door. So he stumbled across the dark room, expecting to see his roommate at the door, especially since he was notorious for getting his keys and arriving home very drunk. When Jody swung the door open, instead of seeing his tall, olive-skinned roommate, he looked down and saw a pair of children. He immediately thought it was odd for two little kids to be standing outside his door on the third floor walkway in the middle of the night. Also, on base of an infantry, right? Yeah, that's, like, how would they even get on there? Right. Well, I guess there are families. Yeah, there's, like, family units, for sure. So, Jody said, as Marines, they had been taught to always listen to that little voice in your head that warns you it can save your life. That little voice he had learned to trust was put as he put it, screaming at him to close the door. His first instinct was a terror, most unusual reaction to a couple of kids, which he found very odd. He's like, they're two little kids. Why am I, why do I feel this fear? So as he stood there for a moment, trying to make sense of the emotions he was experiencing, he noticed something disconcerting about the children. Their eyes were completely black, no color, no white, just darkness. So Jody ignored the voice in his head and asked the children what they were doing at this time of the night. It's really cold out here. We want to come inside and read. So he was like, well, that's a strange request. Like, and he was like, also, they're not speaking very normal. The voice in his head kept shouting a warning. His mind struggled in their requests and wondered where their parents were um, and why they wanted to come read at this time of the night of all things. So he leaned in a little bit to look out the walkway, yet he didn't see anybody else. He then looked once more at the kids, hoping the black eyes would prove to be a trick of the light. They had taken a step for- toward him, and it made him very uncomfortable. He then made eye contact with one of them and suddenly felt a pulling sensation, as if those dark, dark eyes were drawing him in. He couldn't take his eyes off the children. Jody said it was their black eyes. It was as if as if their black eyes were drawing him in, almost hypnotizing him, like the old wives tell about snakes mesmerizing, mesmerizing their prey so it won't escape. So a wave of utter terror swept across him and he wanted to run immediately. Instinctively, Jody slammed the door shut and locked it. He stood there in his darkened apartment, almost paralyzed with fear as the children once again began to knock on the door. Henceforth, the window began to rattle and Jody stepped back further into the shadows, struggling to regain his composure. After approximately five minutes of knocking and rattling that seemed to last for eternity, there was silence. The next day, Jody checked around and no one in the area had saw any children that night. No, ma'am. Is that the end? Yeah. I. So I think it's... Sorry, I was laying down because my back is hurting so bad. But... I think it's interesting that they, well, actually, it's really scary. When they feel the witness people, the mm-hmm. people witnessing it, they feel the fear, but they recognize that it's um, unnatural. Right. It's not because they're, they don't know what they're scared of. Right. It's like it's an It's like odd it feeling. just overcomes them and they're like, oh, I'm scared now. Right. It's weird. Yeah, it is. Okay. Are we reading titles? Yeah. Okay. We just want to use your phone. Okay. Headed home. Ariana lived in a rather rough part of town and was extra alert when walking home from a friend's house late one summer night. 
She she was used to some degree of danger in her neighborhood and always tried to stay aware of her surroundings and who was around, especially at night. This night, as she approached her building, she noticed two teenagers standing nearby the walkway. They wore hoodies to obscure their faces, but seemed harmless enough. However, Ariana suddenly had a very bad feeling about them, the kind you don't ignore. Her pulse quickened and she reached in her purse for the pepper spray, keeping her hand on it, ready to pull it out at a moment's notice. It might not stop an attacker, she reasoned, but it would at least slow them down and give her a chance to get away. This is when things get strange. As she walked by the hooded pair, she saw with her peripheral vision how they simultaneously turned to face her. It was like they were moving as one, connected somehow. I can totally see that. I know. Suddenly, one of the teens spoke to her in a very mature manner for his apparent age. No need for that, he said. We just want to borrow your phone. But how can they see in her purse? I know. It's like they have, they know. The sixth sense. Yeah. She wondered how he knew she had her hand on the pepper spray in her purse. After all, she hadn't pulled it out, and her hand could be on any number of things, from her keys to her cell phone to her dildo. How did he know she it had... It does not say dildo in there. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. She's walking around with a dildo in her purse. <laughs> how did he know she had something to protect herself with? She glanced in their direction and could clearly see their faces, which contained eyes that were completely black. The sockets filled with deep darkness. Terror gripped Ariana and her heart began to pound. Her initial feeling of danger intensified tenfold. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt she was in serious danger. Ariana raced to her front door and could hear their footsteps as they followed her. They continued to ask to use her phone saying, please miss, our mother will not be happy if she doesn't, if she does not know where we are. Ariana continued to run for her front door their odd sing-song repetition of the phrase following her. Ariana fumbled with her keys as the teens got closer and closer, still asking insistently to use her phone. Finally, her door unlocked and she practically fell inside. She whirled around, slamming the door shut and leaned against the door to catch her breath. Her, sorry, her mind racing. Then the knocking started and another wave of terror swept through her. She turned carefully to peek through the peephole, knowing what she would see. The boys were on her front steps, staring at the front door intently, as if they could see her through the wooden door. They continued to ask in a mature, unnerving way to use her phone. We won't hurt you, one of them said. We don't have any weapons to hurt you with, added the other. Just let us in to use the phone. Ariana jerked the door open, ordered the boys to get away from her apartment, and then slammed the door shut quickly. She locked it securely and called a friend to come over. When the friend arrived, the boys took off quickly. It's weird that they stayed there that long. I know. To this day, Ariana will not go to bed without first checking the peephole at her front door just in case the black-eyed teenage boys have returned. That's gross. Well, I think if they ever knocked on my door, I, I would be the one that was like, yeah, come on in. You need a phone? Like, I probably should not, um... Be living alone? Well, no. I'm just saying, like, I would... They would want to come to me. Like, Joshua I would be... Joshua would be your voice of reason. He'd be like, no, baby. We're not letting them in. No, I know that. But I'm saying, like, if it was here, like, when I'm here during the week, I would be like, sure, you need a place to stay, too. I got a couch. Where's oh, your mama at? Okay. So, this one's called The Kitten. So... It was about one o'clock in the morning when Harry, who was up late watching a movie on the television, heard a knock on the front door. As he reached the front door, he flipped the switch to turn on the porch light and heard the bulb blow. Frustrated, but not all that concerned, he opened the front door to see who was outside, leaving the screen door in place. As the door opened, he also noticed the street lights up and down his streets were all about, wait, or all out at the same time. Another rat, um, odd occurrence. Oh, I forgot to mention, this is taking place in Australia. Okay, I was going to say that. All of this, I thought all of them were in No, America. no, no. I threw in one that was from not from, because a lot of them do take place in the United States, but this one happened in Australia. And I want to say that because what's about to happen. So it's in Australia. Is it a kangaroo? 
no, bitch, a black-eyed kangaroo, Lord Jesus. (laughs) So as his eyes adjusted to what little light there was, he saw two teenage boys about 13 years old. One was standing on the porch while the other stood behind him in the walkway. The boy on the porch seemed to be the spokesperson for the pair, so me. Harry looked them both over. They wore khaki cargo pants with white t-shirts and ball caps. The lead boy seemed to be a bit older and was wearing a green ball cap over a mess of medium-length curly brown hair. Good day, mate. We were wondering where we could get our little kitten, if we could get our little kitten out of your backyard, the older boy asked Harry. And obviously that, so I want to preface, that was in like an Australian accent. I cannot do it, (laughs) but just know. Okay, so Harry was immediately taken back. No one in this part of Australia actually used the term, good day, mate. I think that's just like, the go-to, like you know? Like they were watching Outback commercials Or Steve when Irwin. In- so nobody used G'day Mate as a greeting, not to mention the kid's accent was so off, so he could tell something was obviously wrong. Yet that wasn't what concerned Harry the most. When he was at that age, wandering through a, like, when he was at that age, wandering through a darkened neighborhood and knocking on a stranger's door would have been the last thing he would be doing. He immediately began to suspect that their motive um, was not what he thought. Okay. Okay. They're not in dark clothing. No. So he said to them, I'll tell you boys what. Let me take a look in my backyard and I'll bring your kitten to you. He began to step back from the uh, door when the boy spoke again. No, mate. She's afraid of strangers. We have to do it, replied the older boy. The other boy chimed in. We must insist that we get her, he said. For a moment, Harry began to consider letting them in despite the uneasy feeling and strange vibes he was getting from the pair. He didn't like their tone or their explanation of why they needed to be the ones to retrieve the kitten either. Plus, their request was more of a command and it had an ominous tone to it. How old are you two? Harry asked. It was almost like something was making him stall for a time before following his instincts, which told him to close the door. We're 16, mate, replied the older boy. Oh, come on. There is no way that you two are 16. He saw the boys like visibly tense up and began to get worried. Look, mate, we really need to come in and get our kitten. The older boy's voice had taken on a threatening tone, suddenly becoming very hostile and demanding. He thought these two were at least eight or 10, not 16. So that he was like completely thrown off. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh. The accent's off. The fashion is horrid. And uh, you're claiming to be 16 and you are not. So Harry still Stop couldn't... That. Harry still couldn't bring himself to close the door. Instead, he rebuked the boys for their attitude. Look, kids, you can forget being rude if you want your ki- if if you want your kitten back, right? Sorry, mate. The spokesperson of the two quickly apologized. Please, we need to get our kitten back. The younger boy added, "Please let us in. We can't come in unless you let us in." There well, we go. They're like, "Well, that's the manners. Thank you." So a chill ran up Harry's spine as he grew more and more suspicious. He began to glance over them for a concealed weapon of some sort, though it was very hard to see in limited light. He was scanning them up and down looking for some sort of weapon. To his shock, the boy said, We don't have any weapons on us. How on earth did they know that Harry was thinking that? His uneasiness increased, but he still couldn't bring himself to close the door. Does your mother even know you're out this late? Like, why are they looking for a kitten at night? Right? See, this whole time I thought this was daytime. And it seems like they're these black-eyed kids come at night only. Yeah, I read that it's, like, in the evening. Right. So, he says, does your mother even know you're out this late? And the boy replied, come on, mate, let us in. And then the other one said, our mother will be angry with us if we don't bring back the kitten. But you know what's weird? It's, like, it's in their backyard. He could have just had them walk around. Right. But that's that fear that he's feeling. He's like, something's up. Suddenly, the perfect solution seemed to come to Harry's mind. I tell you what, boys. Give me your mom's phone number, and I will call her tomorrow and bring the kitten over if I find it. Just let me get some paper, he said. He turned slightly away from the door to reach a pen and paper nearby when he noticed out of the corner of his eyes, the older boy stepped right up to the screen door. Oh, hell Harry turned to face him, and this time the boy was close enough for the light for Harry to Harry to see the boy's facial features. He had a strange, statistic grin on his face, and in place of his eyes were only a soul-chilling darkness. Get away from my door now, Harry said. Before he could get the second door closed, the older boy leaned slightly forward, almost touching the screen door with his nose, and said, We're just kids. Let us in to get our kitten. 
Ew, go Harry, away. Harry slammed his front door shut and shouted through it, I'm calling the cops if you don't get off my porch now. He fumbled for his phone and then looked out the window to see that if they were still there, his heart pounding like a jackhammer. The boys were gone from his porch in the walkway, and Harry did not see them anywhere on the dimly lit street. He quickly ran to make sure they weren't in his backyard, which they weren't, but he had no idea how they could have disappeared so quickly. So I think, like, a lot of these stories, like, if they start to sense that you're calling somebody or you're going to do something, they immediately can, like... See, that's why I get the whole alien thing. Like, I think they're, like, traveling, like, in different dimensions and stuff. But you know? what about the black... I need to read more about black-eyed... Or, um... Black-eyed peas. <laughs> the men in black. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because they think that that's, like, a lizard creature, you know? Have you ever heard of that? Like, the conspiracy theory that a lot of people in, like, power have, like, this, like... Yeah. The, yeah. So, I don't know. But, yeah, that's... A good, you should research that. So, this next one is called... I love this one. It's called We've Come to Collect You. <gasps> Are you reading it? Yeah. <sighs> oh, do you want to? No, I just... It's fine. I like your... Because I've already read this. Okay. Okay. So, Jillian had... So, her name's Jillian... I don't know why I said that. Obviously, her name's Jillian. Had the most chilling encounter with a pair of BEKs, who, uh, so she seemed a little bit more open to their intentions. Like, okay. she wasn't just, like, completely, like, ah. she was more open, okay? Oh, this is the one where she lets them in? Yeah, I think so. So, Jillian, an attractive woman in her early 40s, was relaxing on her bed with her laptop when she heard a knock at the door. Doom, doom, doom. It was still early in the evening, and Jillian was never one to give to fear, so she headed straight to her front door. As she opened it without hesitation, she saw two kids standing on her front porch. Did you say this already? But it seems like they come in pairs. I didn't because I read one encounter where it was three of them. Oh. But I've never But they don't come alone is what I'm saying. I've never read one where they did. Okay, cool. So one was about 12 years old while the other was about 10 years old. She noticed their clothes looked a little odd and they wouldn't look up. Other than other than that, they seemed completely harmless. Hi, what's up? She asked the boys, ignoring the uneasy feeling growing inside her. Mm-mm. Still looking at the ground, the older boy says, We are lost and my brother needs to use the toilet. Can we come in? <laughs> he needs to shit. No, I'm <laughs> He spoke with more confidence than the other boys his age and his tone was odd, almost as if he was giving an, an order than making a request. Okay. She wondered why they were standing at the ground, or staring at the ground, but quickly decided they were just shy. Anyways, Jillian knew the neighborhood was very confusing for newcomers. It wouldn't be the first time a lost individual knocked on her door. In all of the years she lived there, she never found reason to be afraid. She pus- pushed away the nagging feeling of uneasiness and opened the door for the pair to come in. Come on in. She said with a friendly smile. She stepped to the side of, to allow the boys inside her home. Before she could tell the younger boy where the bathroom was, he had already headed up the stairs and turned the right direction to find it. So he, like, knew the layout of her house already. Yeah, no. Walking through her house as if he had already been there before. She was puzzled by how he knew where her bathroom was, but passed it off. That uneasy feeling wasn't going away, however. It was too late to worry. Re- um... She had already invited them to their home. So she's like, well, shit, they're already here. So <laughs> what are we going to do about it? So the older boy also stepped in and followed Jillian to the, to the phone. As she walked toward the kitchen, she suddenly was overwhelmed by a sense of danger or like something very bad was about to happen to her. A split second after this failing swept through her, the older boy stopped and said, is everything okay? A chill ran through Jillian as the hair on her back neck stood up. She began to feel shaky and slightly disoriented. She turned to look at him for the first time, having a clear look at his face. Jillian would not be able to remember any features that he had, but the sight of his black, empty eyes would stay with her for the rest of her life. Jillian felt so terrified, the scream she wanted to emit was trapped in her throat, and she felt like she was like cemented to the floor. Mm. She began to shake and became dizzy, feeling helpless and vulnerable, a very foreign feeling for Jillian. Through sheer willpower, she managed to turn her body only to see the younger boy at the other end of the kitchen staring at her with lifeless black eyes. Mm. Jillian felt trapped, but she was not going to go down without a fight. Her knees began to buckle. Under some external power, the older boy said, 
We've come to collect you, Jillian. <gasps> Something in Jillian fought back the dizziness and the terror. Her mind cleared and began to form. Whatever was holding her back wasn't strong enough to keep her still. Jillian broke into a run, pushing the older boy aside as she flew, flew by him. She ran with all of her might to another room, slammed the door behind her, locking it, but realized the flimsy lock was little protection and they intended, uh, even if they can, intended to collect her. She grabbed hold of the heaviest piece of furniture in her room, a wooden desk, and pulled it in front of the door as, as fast as she could. For an hour, she alternated between leaning over the top of the desk or sitting on it, listening intently for any signs of someone else in the house with her. Desperately, Jillian wished she had her cell phone on her, but she had left it charging on the nightstand of her bed. As she listened, all she heard was silence. She was thinking, were they still there? Why did they want to collect her? What did they mean? Who were they? Why were their eyes black? Why had they picked her? What, what would she do if she hadn't left? So finally, she got up the nerve to try to escape. Jillian knew that her back door was unlocked and it was straight shot from her room to the back door. She pushed the desk far enough away from the door to get through easily. A knock on the door. We've come to collect you, Jillian. She paused. Jillian jerked open the door, ran through the house to her back door, across the backyard, over the fence, straight into the neighbors. Damn. Out of breath, she told him the story. He headed back to her house, armed with a baseball bat, carefully and systematically checking every room, then assured Jillian that they were gone. After he left, she checked again herself, armed with a knife this time. Fortunately for Jillian, she didn't suffer any lasting effects from her encounter, unless you count the months and months of nightmares. See, that's, again, why I think it's like an alien thing, you know? I don't know. I mean... Yeah, can a well, can aliens take form of other? Yeah, beings? Um, there's like a like I was I love reading about alien stuff. There's actually this really cool documentary where um, these people claim to have been like abducted by probed. aliens, probed and stuff. And they said like some of the alien cr creatures are that white, white, white skin, perfect skin. They almost look like a human. Um, so I'm I don't know. I mean. That's just so crazy to think, but it just kind of adds up. So do you want to read our last one? Yes. Okay. And this do we is have a, time? Yeah. And this is a Halloween one. Oh, my favorite. Okay. So this is called Late One Halloween. Sally had her own BEK experience on Halloween with an aggressive pair of BEKs who managed to terrify her dog without ever, ever laying eyes on it. Ever. <laughs> Trick or treat. Sally and her husband had given up on any more trick or treaters stopping by their house, so they turned off the front porch light and let their mellow bulldog Sophie out of her crate and into the living room. Soon Sally's husband went to bed, leaving Sally with Sophie curled up on the sofa watching television. Suddenly, there were three knocks on the front door. Sally was startled, no doubt, due in part to the creepy television show she was watching. She was puzzled, not so much by how late the knocks came, but by the fact that someone even knocked because their doorbell lit up and was easily visible to anyone standing on the front porch, even with the porch light turned off. An uneasy feeling swept over Sally. She knew that whoever was on the porch had to know she was in there. Their front door had a large glass pane in it, and the flickering lights from the television would be obvious to anyone standing there. In fact, she thought they might even be able to see her silhouette. The knock sounded again. Sally glanced down to her dog, Sophie, only to discover Sophie was nowhere in sight. She quickly looked around the room for her dog, but she was nowhere to be seen. She got up to look for her and found Sophie hunkered down against the back door, whimpering and crying. Before she answered the door, she wanted to make sure Sophie couldn't get out. Sophie, crate, she ordered the dog. Sophie looked at her as if to shake her head no. She started to yell up to her husband, but could hear the shower running and knew he couldn't hear her exasperated with sophie's odd behavior she turned to leave the room that's when the three knocks came yet again sally walked back into the living room a car drove by for a split second its headlight illuminated the front door revealing the shadow of two small children relieved sally decided they were just a couple of kids trick-or-treating and she had nothing to worry about she pushed the thought of sophie's strange behavior out of her mind and attributed to the uneasy 
the uneasy feeling to the types of shows she had been watching. Sally hurried to the front door and turned on the porch light. Through the glass door pane, she could see a pair of small children. As she unlocked the door, Sally wondered what two little kids were doing out so late on Halloween by themselves and why they were being so aggressive when her porch light was out. Sally opened the door about two feet wide enough for her to talk to the kids, but not wide enough for Sophie to make an escape. This is interesting because when I first started reading about these stories, they mentioned, it was mentioned that a lot of them used to happen in Halloween. Oh, really? Which makes sense with, Because like, they can blend in with, like, the, the image, too. Yeah. Like, they could say it was a costume. Or, like, why are these kids by themselves? Like, right. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why didn't you just keep doing that? Anyway, she was immediately taken aback. The children about the children about 11 and 9 years old were wearing street clothes instead of a costume, and they didn't say trick or treat like the kids had all evening long. Oh, like they knocked on the door and they didn't say trick or treat? No, they were just standing there. Oh, I'd have been like, are you broke? Yeah. They were looking down at the ground instead of at her as well. So it all struck her as rather odd. Can I help you? Sally asked, an uneasy feeling sweeping over her again. The older girl, still looking down, answered in an oddly mature voice. Can we come in and use your phone to call our mother? Immediately, Sally began to wonder why a kid that age, out alone at night, wouldn't have a cell phone. Um, honey, don't you have a cell phone? She asked. The two kids turned their faces to look at each other as if they were talking to each other but not saying anything. They looked back at the ground, and the girl answered, Our phone ran out of charge. Can we please come in to call our mother? We are all alone, and my brother is scared. Okay, well, they did answer a question. Mm-hmm. Remember, well, I said earlier that, like, they, they don't... Well, maybe they knew how to answer that question. I guess. Something deep inside Sally, almost primal, told her not to let the pair inside of her home. Suddenly, Sally realized she had been inching the door open wider without even being conscious of it. The hair on the back of her neck began to stand up, and she tightened her grip on the door. She was torn between a sense of foreboding and strong motherly instinct. Two kids alone on the street on Halloween wanting to call their mother seemed harmless, but at the same time, she felt very strongly she should not, under any circumstances, let them into her home. An idea, under, an idea struck her. I'll tell you what, she said in her almost friendly voice, in her most friendly voice, let me have your mother's number and I'll call her for you. This seemed perfectly reasonable if the pair was telling her the truth. They looked at each other just like they had before and then changed their tactic. My brother needs to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside? It's always the phone or the damn bathroom. I know. Or the apple and the ketchup. The girl's voice was much... Can you imagine if they were, like, having a meeting up, like, in space, and they're like, not the Apple incident, like, the Apple incident of 1997. Right. Okay, the girl's voice was more aggressive this time as she took two steps towards the door and looked up. The light bulb from the porch lit up her face clearly, but all Sally would ever be able to recall about her features were her jet black eyes. Fear struck her, and her primal instinct took over, forcing her to close the door. The little boy began to whimper, and the girl spoke up. Please, ma'am, we are all alone out here, and we are scared. She stepped even closer to the door with a determination that alarmed Sally. Sally shut the door with authority and locked it. She felt a twinge of guilt and shouted through the door. I'll call your mom if you'll give me her number, but I am not letting you in my house. The pair stood on the porch, staring at her through the door as the little boy continued crying. Sally dashed to find a phone to contact their neighbor across the street, but by the time he came outside, the children were gone. Sophie was later found in the guest bedroom under the bed and terrified beyond, terrified beyond all reason. It would take a few days for Sophie to return to normal. It would take longer than that for Sa Sally to recover from the experience. That's scary. Well... So they either need to use the bathroom or they need to use a fucking phone. I, don't I, I wonder, I wonder if anyone's ever been like, yeah, here's the phone. Like, what would they do? Like, why do you need a I'm phone? Like, I think you want to come in. Oh, but you know what? During this time, landlines were very popular. Well, not at this time. They would have had a cell phone. It didn't say the date. Oh, but... you know what? I'm thinking that these are all 1996, like the first one. Yeah. And not only that, like, just be a freaking meter man. Right. 
well, get into people's houses. That is the stories of the black eyed kids. If any black eyed kids are listening to this podcast, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've ever experienced any black eyed kids, please let us know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe go to therapy. Right. Okay. Next week, I have a true crime episode that. True crime. Like a, another murder mystery, or not murder. Can I talk? I have another episode, and it's about three friends and a girlfriend that killed their, quote, best friend. And, baby, it is jarring, but good. So, we will see y'all back next week. We're about to record a Patreon episode, so please, if you want to be a Patreon, our link is in our Instagram, at Misery Manor Podcast. Or email us at... MiseryManorPodcast at gmail.com. Send us your uh, cool, scary stories. I know several of y'all said that you were going to. We're waiting. Oh, yeah. Bye. Send it. Bye.